Good morning. That song moves me every single time I've heard it this weekend. Isn't it amazing? What a blessing. Yes, yes. What a blessing. Well, welcome. My name is Matt, and I'm from Iowa. Anybody here from Iowa, raise your hand. Woo-hoo! Not bad, not bad. All right, all right. Well, I'm really enjoying my time here. Brian has taken such good care of me. I've just grown to love uh, you and your family in such a short amount of time. But listen, this morning's not about me. It's actually about you. And uh, the title to the message, if you haven't seen it quite yet, is How to Fix Your Spouse. (laughs) Yeah, that's where we're going today. Does anybody here, by the raising of your hand, your brave hand, know of a spouse who needs fixed? Just go ahead and raise. Yep, yep, yep. Come on. This is going to be a place of open and honesty right now. Yeah, I know. I get it. You know someone. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. And uh, I got my toolkit here with me because I want to unpack that for you, what that means. But the reason why I titled the message, How to Fix Your Spouse, is often couples come into the arena of marriage counseling or marriage mentoring or marriage classes or church not to get fixed. We come to bring our spouse so they get fixed. And my wife and I left our careers about 10 years ago to develop a, a ministry where we train couples how to help other couples. <clears throat> and we've, ex- we've sort of designed a very specific technique of, of marriage mentoring that happens in the home, and we've trained about 4,500 people uh, nationally, and it's just very exciting. It's why I'm here. And I'm a little frustrated at, at the frequency of how many divorces are happening, and, and so we're trying to make a difference, and so we're building up this army of healthy couples to help other couples in need. And I'm excited for you. And so that's why I'm here. And, and so I'm going to kind of show you what tools, uh, what they have to do with this message. And before I do that, though, I really do have to come clean. I, I come here not a perfect husband, and I don't have a perfect, polished, great, unbelievable, uh, flawless marriage. I don't. Uh, we have issues, right? Just like you. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife's name is Pam. She's beautiful and, and she's funny and charming, uh, but uh, we've still had our issues. And she's a very strong-willed woman, you know, and, and I'm a strong-willed guy. And, and so when we married, you know, we have the potential for this. And as I've matured in my faith and, and as I've matured in my, my own uh, being a husband, we kind of went from this to now we're like this. We're a force to be reckoned with in the kingdom of God. And that's Amen. what I want for you. So I remember the day after we got married, I go over to her condo to pick up all of her furniture to move into our new home. It was exciting. It was a lovely time. And I get over there, you know, and you got to know something about Pam. She is very organized and very particular. And so I get there and I got this trailer hooked up to my truck and all her furniture was sort of double and triple wrapped, I'm sure. And it might even have been in alphabetical order knowing her. And I backed it up and we loaded this trailer to move into our new home. And then before I, I pulled away, she came up to me and put her hands right on my shoulders, looked right in my eyes, and she goes, now, Matt, when we drive across town, drive slow. And then she climbs in the trailer and puts her arms around her furniture so it won't get scratched. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm driving across town in the Quad Cities, and all of a sudden, uh, very, very busy, and all of a sudden, I saw a Taco Bell, and I got hungry for a taco. The problem is the light right at that intersection turned yellow. Guys, what do you do when a light turns yellow? You gun it. And I completely forgot she was even back there. So I gunned it. I whipped it to the left and whipped it to the right. And all of a sudden, the trailer became completely disconnected and passes my truck. 
She doesn't even know it. And I yell out the window, Pam, hold on. <laughs> Boom, that thing hits Taco Bell. So I get out and then she gets out and we had some words. <laughs> and then I go in and get two tacos and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> Hook it all back up and we go home. That's how we started our marriage. Somebody here needs fixed, right? And I kind of want to unpack these tools because what happens in life is we start using our tools to fix people. And if you're here and you're not married and you're young, and I see some young folks sitting here in the front row who don't look married yet. And so I want you to stay tuned in because I want to specifically talk to you if you're young. Because there's going to be a day you will be married. And I want you to be ready for that. And if you're here and you're older and maybe your spouse has passed, stay tuned in, don't check out, because God's going to send you couples who are in need and who are hurting and, and who, are, who are wanting some direction. As a matter of fact, all of you probably know someone right now who's in a marriage that's strained, that might even be thinking of divorce. I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready for a word. I want you to be ready to give them a formula that is simple. And of course, if you're here and you're happy or, or mad, it doesn't matter, glad or sad, Certainly this is for you. And so what tools do we use to fix people? And if you're not married, you're using tools right now to fix your friends at school or teachers or, or your parents. Or, you know, we use our tools. And the first tool that comes to my mind that I've been using to fix my wife for years, and even before marriage, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but we bring our habits into marriage. We bring our luggage into marriage. And then we unpack it after the wedding. And here's the real me. Here I am. And I bring issues into my marriage. And the first tool I brought in is anger, the hammer. And by the way, when we, when we choose this tool, it's never an accident. It's not like I wake up one morning and, and oops, 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 fam, I accidentally use anger. <laughs> it's a choice. I have chosen this tool on my wife. And there's moments afterwards, often, I look back and it breaks my own heart that I chose this tool. And I used it on Pam. And you know, the Bible says that man's anger never produces the righteousness of God. Never. That's an interesting word, never. It means never. <laughs> I can't think of one time I've ever used this tool on anybody in my life pri prior to or after marriage. I cannot think of one time I've ever used this tool and it's ever yielded any fruit. Not once. Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? <laughs> it doesn't. I'm guilty. I'll fix her. Or the next tool that I think uh, we, can, might, we might be able to relate to is the screwdriver. I kind of call it manipulation. Where, where you know, we learn when we're kids how to get around the rules and what mom and dad want. And we just kind of learn how to act and get what we want. And sometimes we actually use anger as manipulation. You know, they go hand in hand. It's like, I'm going to be so mad and I'm going to throw such a tantrum or I'm going to behave in such a way that you're going to yield. You're either going to give me what I want or you're going to have to deal with this. I see it all too often. Manipulation. Or maybe you're not an angry person. Maybe you're the opposite to the ones you love. Maybe when, you're, when you uh, want something or you're wounded, maybe you just completely shut down. And maybe you back away and retreat and you withhold affection. You withhold love. And you're like, I'll show them. I'll become a block of ice. That'll teach them. That'll fix them. Both can ruin a marriage. Or maybe, here's a little, another tool, I only have a few, a little handsaw, and I kind of call this criticism or words. 
words. You don't have to be mad. You don't have to yell. You don't have to curse. Words have the power to heal and to build people up. Words also have the power to destroy and to wound. There's times where I've used words on Pam or other people, and as soon as they rolled off my tongue, I wish I could have just grabbed them and pulled them back. It was too late. You know, in marriage, we learn just the right things to say to hurt. Matter of fact, finish this quote for me. I know you know it. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never... That's a lie from Satan. Bruises go away and bones heal. But often we use words that cut and it hurts somebody for a lifetime. I could interview every one of you and maybe recount a time in your life where somebody spoke a word into your life, a teacher, a friend, a parent, or maybe a spouse, and, and it, was, it was wonderful and it made you feel like there was nothing you can't do. And there's times where my wife does that and I'm like, man, there is no ocean I can't swim, no mountain I can't climb, babe. That's how those words make me feel. But on the other side, I could interview you and all of you could probably recount a time where somebody cut you deep with a word. It's powerful. And I look at this and I know there's been times I've hurt my wife. God forgive me. Guilty. Or here's another one. This could be a guy thing. Earplugs. Oh yeah, you know where I'm going. We know when to plug these things in, right, with our wives. I'll fix her. <laughs> Don't hear a thing. I see the lips are moving, but I don't hear anything. Selective hearing. Or maybe wives can use it also as a form of disconnect and the silent treatment. I'll show him. I'll give him the silent treatment. <laughs> Actually, I was talking to a couple one time, and the wife said, I've been giving my husband the silent treatment for three years. He doesn't even know it. <laughs> and the last, and I could go on and on, is duct tape. This is, I'm gonna fix Pam, I'll fix her. And this is kind of like fighting for control and power in marriage. I mean, we often fight over power and control. And, you know, in Genesis it says when Adam and Eve sinned and they, they fell to sin, the first curse, one of the first curses is that Eve would want to fight for his position. And the very next verse says then, then Adam would rule over her. And it gives this idea that there was this, this battle for power from the very beginning. Hey, this is nothing new. This has been going on for years. As a matter of fact, sometimes when I'm in conflict with Pam, I want to get out my duct tape. I'm like, honey, come here. I don't really like what you're saying. Don't really like what I'm hearing. So I got something for you. Come a little closer. Probably need a lot bigger piece, but this might work. Come on. And the truth is, I shouldn't use the duct tape on her. How about you this morning? What habits have you created in your life that you brought into marriage. And if you're not married, what habits are you creating right now? I want you to look at these tools and I want you to think of all this as one thing. It's your flesh. It's your sin nature. We're, we're all born with a sin nature and the Bible says we need to die to it every day. Let's not run from it. Let's face it. Your sin nature might be different than mine. As a matter of fact, just to be clear, I think we all need to know something this morning that's shocking. We're all flawed. Every one of us is flawed. I'm flawed. You're flawed. Pastor Brian is flawed. <gasps> I know that shocks some of you. We're all flawed. Every, every evangelist you'll ever know, every, every prophet in Scripture had issues. 
So what I want you to do right now is turn to the person next to you and say this. You're not perfect. Yep, tell them. It's going to shock them. There you go. Yep. It's going to take some time to settle in. It will. And now look back at them and say, neither am I. There you go. <laughs> the truth is we're all flawed. And I think, I think when it comes to fixing broken relationships, it's awesome to grab this idea that, hey, my flesh and my sin nature is a part of this problem and I am flawed. And I, I think the very first thing we need to do is look in the mirror. Start with me. It's me. And I want to bring you to a scripture that is one of the most powerful scriptures you'll ever give to a couple in need. It's one of the most powerful formulas you're ever going to give. It's short, it's easy to remember, it's easy to memorize. And some of you, some of you might be thinking, Matt, that's, it seems too simple. It is simple, but it's powerful. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles 7, 14. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It is one of my favorite passages in scripture because of its power and there's multiple scriptures throughout the New Testament that undergird it and almost mirror it over and over again in Jesus' words himself. And here it is. If my people who are called by my name, let's stop right there, that's us. If my people, I love the word if, and if you're a Bible study person, every time, you know, that's a, that's a real big word, isn't it? Bible study person, that's very theological. If you're a Bible study person and you see the word if, I want you to circle it or underline it while you read scripture because it's a powerful word of condition. If, if my people, it is, it, that should wake you up. It says, if you do these things, and then there's another word we're going to look at here in a moment called then, if and then. They're words of condition. God's blessings and his favor and all that he wants for you will not accidentally just show up in your life. It's, your marriage was not going to accidentally get great. God's favor is often tied to condition. And he's given us a story here. He says, if my people, actually he says, if you do three things, I'll blow a healing into your life that will blow you away. He says, if my people who are called by my name will do three things, humble themselves and pray, seek my face and then turn from their own wicked ways, then, there it is right there, then, then, if you would do these three things first, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land, your home, your marriage, your heart, your brokenness, your lifestyle. And often people come to me and they say, oh, I want healed first, God. They come to the altar, hey, God, heal me first. Then I'll humble myself and seek you in turn. God says, no, you got it backwards. Start by humbling yourself. Seek me and then turn and then I'll blow a healing in your marriage and in your life and in your heart that will blow your mind. So I wanna unpack that for you this morning. This is the formula. It's very simple, three things. Number one, humble yourself. Humble you. This is the hard part. I mean, we're not born humble, we're born selfish. We we're born narcissistic to some degree, thinking of ourselves. I know I was. And so I looked up this word and I found it over 88 times in scripture. It's a big deal. I mean, I, I, I stumbled into this. I'm like, wow, being humble is the, like one of the biggest deals to God. It's not like you're going to slide into heaven, you know, and, and God and you are going to be standing face to face and he's going to say, you know what, well done, thou faithful servant. And he's going to say, you know what, though, you overdid it in being humble. You didn't have to be that humble. Yeah, that conversation is not going to happen. Be humble. 
And so as I was diving into this message years ago, I'm like, God, show me an example of somebody in scripture that I could emulate my life after because not only do I want your favor, God, but I want to know how to get it. And I found this guy's name and, it, and over the years, I've just has this, I have this affection for this guy. And his name is King David. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God favored this man. And, and he was after God's own heart. And so I'm like, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out my microscope and look at this guy. Because if I can follow what this guy did, then I can have God's favor. And then I found something very profound all throughout the New Testament. I found David's name mentioned over and over and over in reverence, in favor, in honor. Even though he had issues and even though he blew it a couple times. For some reason, his favor and God's reverence towards him was all throughout the New Testament. How many of you this morning want that kind of favor in your life? How many of you want that favor to fall from you into your children and to their children and their unborn children and the generation beyond you like David's? Then let's look closely at what happened here. So what I did is I wrote down three kings consecutively, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And I said, okay, show me what's going on here, God. And next to King Saul, who led right before David, he had it all. He was like the hero. God, God gave him all the same favor, but he lost it all. He went from hero to zero, and that could happen to me, and that could happen to you. And I wrote down next to King Saul, why, what happened? And it said at the end of his reign, he became arrogant and prideful and unteachable. Don't let that be you. God, don't let that be me. The day that I quit opening my heart up to teaching and to an accountability partner and to pastors like Brian and like Wayne, and, and the day that I turn my heart from them is going to be a very dark day because Saul's life ended in suicide and no honor. And his name is not mentioned in the New Testament. He, he had it all and he lost it all, including his reputation. God, don't let that be me. The next to King David, I wrote, what did he do that angered God? Because he's not perfect. And, and I wrote down that he had sex with another man's wife, Bathsheba, and had her husband murdered. And her husband was a soldier that was out fighting for King David. And, I, and as I wrote that down, I'm like, Wow, that's bad. And the third is King Solomon, who was David's son, who was also blessed. And at the end of Solomon's reign, God said this, Solomon, do not marry foreign women. Do not marry women who worship false gods. And Solomon said, yeah, God, uh, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm looking at these three kings, remembering that King David's name is mentioned over and over and over. And all of a sudden, I'm like, God, it seems confusing to me. Why did you still love this guy so much? What separated him? Because his sin seems far worse than the other two kings. What, what's the story? And God took me to Psalm 51. You see, David did something the other two kings wouldn't do. David did something husbands won't do today in America. David did something that Christian husbands won't do. David did something that wives won't do. David did something that broken marriages won't do. In Psalm 51, he fell on his face before his God and he cried out and he became humble. He split his heart wide open before God. He literally cried out and said, God, I have sinned against you and only you. And he wept. He was a dignitary, but he wasn't above the act of falling on his face before his God. Never put yourself above the act of falling on your face before your God. No matter how what God does in my life, and, and no matter my position in marriage or your position in, in, in ministry or maybe work, never put yourself above falling on your face before the Lord. And I've got to believe it is that reason alone that when David was on his face as king before his God, God had mercy. 
And God looked at him and said, I forgive you. You're my boy. Saul didn't repent. There's no record that Solomon repented, but David did. You know what that gives me and you? Hope. That you can bring issues into this room just like me and, and maybe, maybe you bring issues in. But you know what? If we can do what David did, the favor will not leave our lives. Amen? Amen. Humble yourself like David did. I'd love, love to see how David lived. And so how can I do that before I move on? Give me some technical things you might be saying. Number one, get an accountability partner in your life. Get a wingman, get a wingwoman. I meet with these guys every week and I share everything and I hide nothing. And they know my issues and I brought them before them. And they know my tripping points and they push me and we study and we hold each other accountable. And it's humbling. I don't like sitting there with these other guys sharing my secrets. But sin secrets grow in the dark and they die in the light. Hide nothing. Share everything. Take a long, hard look in the mirror. That's a good way to be humble. As a matter of fact, I remember Pam and I had some conflict early on in our marriage when I was immature, and I was upset, and I was like, the injustice of that woman. And I was praying to the Lord, and God said, uh, hey, Matt, put your tools down. Humble yourself and walk away. I'm like, well, what do you mean, God? He said, walk away from your tools. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, when you're using your tools to fix your spouse, you're wounding her to the point where she's tuning me out. God said, Matt, you're in my way. It was one of the most profound moments in my marriage where I decided to get out of God's way and leave her alone. God said, I created your wife. I created the universe. I change people. I fix people. I'm working with your wife on my timetable, not yours. Get out of my way. And I did. I remember telling Pam not long after that, I said, babe, if you never improve, if you never get better a day in your life, I want you to know that I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have you as my wife. And I'll let all of you and your issues be worked out with God. And I'm going to stay out of his way. Humble yourself. Identify changes you can make. Don't return fire with fire. And so my, I committed the next time my wife uses this on me, or maybe she uses criticism, that I'm not going to respond with my weapons. That takes humility. I remember one time we got into a, an argument, and uh, I got upset, and I got in my truck, and I, I tore off and squealed the tires. I was like, I'll show her. <laughs> Anybody here ever do that? Why is there always just one guy, Brian? I think Brian's going to preach next week on lying. <laughs> and I get about a block away, and all of a sudden, God knocked on my head, and he goes, Matt, what are you doing? And I go, the injustice. Did you see what she did? And God says, Matt, I called you to be a better man. I called you to be a man of patience, of humility. As a matter of fact, God said, I want you to love your wife when it counts the most, which is when she wounds you. Do you know that, the, that your love for your spouse is never proven? You're, you don't prove your love to your spouse when things are great and when she's perfect and purse like a kitten. My love for Pam is proven in the face of my own wound when she hurts me. It is then that I get to show her how much I love her. And so in that moment of conviction from the Holy Spirit in my truck, I whipped into a, a grocery store to buy her flowers. Have you ever bought flowers for someone 
you were mad at. It's weird. <laughs> and I get up to the counter, you know, and I'm still a little upset, and I'm like, yeah, I'd like to buy my wife some flowers. And I get the happiest little high school girl in the world, you know, my luck. <gasps> That's so sweet. What kind do you want to get? Cheapest kind you got. Matter of fact, cut off the heads and wrap the stems. No, I didn't do that. So I got her these flowers, you know, and I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm listening. I'm, I'm going to humble myself. And, and, you know, something happened from that store back to my driveway as I'm driving home. And then the Lord started to heal my heart. And the scripture is so powerful. He said, if, Matt, you would just humble yourself and seek me and turn from your flesh, I'll heal you. And he did. And before I even got to my own home, I pulled in my driveway and the Lord started to show me Pam through his eyes. And I sat there and I cried. I'm like, I can't believe I was such a jerk. God, forgive me. Now, I thought I'd kick the front door open, you know, like in the movies, and I'd hand her the flowers and she would melt in my arms and it'd be like romantic, you know, and she'd be like, yeah, you're my hero. <laughs> yeah, that did not happen. <laughs> it took her a while to warm up to me. And later she did say, honey, when you walked in that door with those flowers, even though I was really mad at you, it made me glad you were my husband. I don't always do it right, but I'm trying. Humble yourself. Hey, guys, love your wives when they don't deserve it. Just show them Jesus in the face of your own pain. Wives, respect your husbands. If it's only fair that we do that with you, I'm going to ask you to do that with your husbands. Respect us when we blow it and when we're knuckleheads and when we forget things and when we don't do things right because we're well-intentioned. Show us your love and your respect when you're wounded. It's powerful. Do you know that when you don't forgive and you choose not to forgive, you create a prison cell for yourself? Forgive. Be humble. Respect him. And yes, I want you to use duct tape, but not on him and not on her. Use it on yourself. I want to be this kind of man that is so humble that I bite my tongue until it bleeds. And, and, and a humble man holds back the words and the anger. And a humble wife is careful with her words and stops the sharp tongue. And she's cautious. Let that be you. And before I move on, I got a, I got a really sh uh, important thing to share with parents. And, and the number one way your children are ever going to learn how to be humble, the number one way your children will ever learn, it won't be at school, it won't be social media, and even though they're going to learn uh, from different parts and pieces of sermons in church, the number one teaching agent in their life is you. By watching you. By watching dad take his wife into his arms in the middle of a fight. Children are watching that. I don't have time this morning to unpack with you how many times I saw my father love my mother in the face of his own wound. And I lost track of how many times my mother has served my father in the face of her own pain. Your kids are watching. Number two is seek God's face. Here the formula is right here. Humble yourself, number one. Number two, seek God. Seek him. That's all it says. It's very simple. Humble yourself. Seek him. And some of you might be like, well, hey, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm here. I'm here on Sunday mornings. I'm seeking God. I'm here right now. I, I come once a week. Hold on. Not too fast. You know there are levels of seeking God we know not of. You know we're not going to out-seek him as you're here. Seek him. 
Seek him when things are good. Seek him when things are bad. Seek him on Monday and Tuesday, not just Sunday. Seek him on Wednesday and Thursday. I think what happens between church services is far more important to God than what I do when I'm standing here. Seek him. I'll never forget when I was in college, uh, not knowing what life was going to look like in front of me. I was in engineering school, and it was hard, and, and I was lonely, and I'm like, I had all these insecurities, and will a woman ever love me? Will I ever get married? Will I ever make enough money to buy a house and buy a car? And, and you know, all these things that you, young people right now, I'm sure, is going on in your mind. And I, and I felt that, and, and you feel that. And I remember while I was in college, I would take my Bible, and I would go to the nearest park on Saturdays, and I would sit there on a bench all by myself, and I would seek my God. It's one of the things I think David did the most. As flawed as he was, seek God. And I'd sit there and sometimes I would cry. You know, real men cry. Real women cry out to God. Share, share with him your fears and share with him your anger. That's what he wants. He wants the real you. Talk to him. Seek him. How do you seek him this morning? And what are some other thoughts? Uh, I love seeking him through my accountability partners. I love seeking him through a friendship. Like, let's just imagine uh, Brian and I, or Mike, or I don't know any other names, but let's just say every week we met, and he was holding me accountable. I can seek God through friendships. You know, the number one tool God uses to reach people is people. Often, I find Christ through the men that I've chosen to do life with. And I also seek him through my wife by fasting and praying. Once a year, Pam and I fast. I remember one year I came home from work and we were fasting and I walk into our dining room and there sat on our dining room table this, this huge display like we were gonna have a feast. And I was confused and I went to her and I said, honey, what are we doing? I thought we were fasting tonight. And she said, we are. She said, I just want you to take a look at what I put on your plate. And we weren't going to have a meal. We were going to have a, a spiritual time with the Lord side by side. And I walked over and looked, and there she had written all these prayers out for our marriage and our future and our hopes and our dreams and our calling and our issues. And my wife had put all this together. It was going to be this elaborate, amazing display side by side, husband and wife. Wow. That's my baby. Proverbs 31 said the inner beauty of a woman will never come close to the outward beauty. Seek the Lord through fasting and praying. Seek him. Seek him. It frustrates me on how many couples come into the arena of marriage counseling and, and they'll, I want a divorce. I want the injustice. And I'll say, have you sought God? Have you sought him? No. Do you know what the Bible says about all these things? No. Slow down. Just slow down. Seek him. Seek him. Don't make big life decisions without seeking God. And number three, and this is the formula, to humble myself, to seek God, and to turn from my own wicked ways. And this is the hardest part, is to turn. And I gotta be honest with you, when I first came across this years ago, and I, and I saw that part in scripture where it says, turn from my own wicked ways, I completely disconnected. I'm like, oh, it's not talking about me. <laughs> I'm not wicked. That's somebody else. That's the wicked people over there. And in my own heart, as I, as I was wrestling with that word and this whole passage isn't talking to me, God said, hey, Matt, every single time you grieve the Holy Spirit, that's wicked. Wickedness is any and all sin. 
And all of a sudden, in, those, in that prayer time, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is me. I am wicked. Do you know that a humble woman and a humble man has the ability right now to look at this part of our lives and say and admit that is wicked? And the sooner we agree and the sooner that we confess and the sooner that we square up with the truth of that, the quicker healing will find us. And so I found another passage. I'm going to read it quickly. I love this. So what do I do? So, so now I know not to use my tools and to, to seek God and to turn from my ways. But what can I do that's proactive? And there is, a, there is something you can do. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. I love this. It says, if anybody causes you grief, stop right there. That's who we're talking about. People who cause us grief. Wives, husbands, friends. It says the punishment inflicted upon them by the majority is sufficient. In other words, when, when Pam blows it and she sins against me, the punishment inflicted upon her by everybody else is enough. Then the next verse, I love it, it says this. Now instead of punishing her, you instead ought to reach out and comfort her and forgive her. It says reaffirm your love for them so they're not overwhelmed by excessive sorrow for what they've done to you. In other words, you hurt me, I comfort you. You wound me, I come up and I give you affection in the face of my pain. You know, there's only one way this can happen is that's with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so right now, I'm gonna call a timeout. I wanna speak to every young person here, a child and young person that's not married, and here it is. I'm gonna ask you to commit to something this morning. Girls, no matter how good looking a guy ever is and how dapper and how popular, if he doesn't know Jesus, walk away. Don't marry a man who doesn't know Jesus, girls. Please don't. And guys, no matter how pretty she is or, or how smitten you might be and how she flips her hair and you go crazy, if she doesn't know Jesus, walk away. And here's why. It's not to hurt you. You see, I want you to be prepared. You're going to blow it in your marriage at different times. That'll happen. I want them to be able to love you in that dark moment. I want them to be able to love you and, and be respectful and, and sort of comfort you when you don't deserve it. And the only way they can do that is if the Holy Spirit is in them. That's right. Prepare for that. Prepare for that. Amen, parents? So here it is. Humble yourself. Seek God. Turn from your ways. Comfort those who wound you. I go to Pam as often as possible. I remember I came home from work one time, and Pam was in the flower garden with her shovel. And I'm like, hey, honey, how are you? <clears throat> And she didn't even look at me, and I could tell something was wrong. And I'm like, yoo-hoo, your husband's home. Ha-ha. It's me. And she still wouldn't look at me. So I knew that something was awry. <laughs> and so I, I, I could have went to my old self and grabbed one of my tools with the disrespect, and, and I'm wounded. But I didn't. On that particular night, I sat my briefcase down, and I walked over to her, and I took the shovel out of her hand. Not because I was afraid or anything. <laughs> and I brought her into my chest and I held her and I said not one word. I put duct tape on my mouth. I held my wife. I comforted her. Again, I don't always do it right, but the more I do it, the more the Holy Spirit reigns. Amen. The power is found right there. And so if you're here this morning and you want that, I want all of you right now to pull out the card that we put in your bulletin. It's a little three-by-five card. And on the front, 
It says we need to be mentored. And if you're here and you want a little bit of help, we're here to train up really healthy couples to walk with you for 10 weeks in the privacy of their home. It's an hour and a half session. They're gonna, learn, they're gonna, they're gonna love you. They're gonna help you become humble and they're gonna help you seek God and turn from your ways. They're gonna help you. It's a very, very confidential uh, but very effective process. So if you're here and that's you and you wanna get your marriage to a better place, just sign it. On the way out the door, I want every person to turn in these cards, whether you signed them or not, so nobody will notice it's you. Nobody, is that going to be embarrassing? Just sign it. And a couple will contact you in the next couple weeks. Or maybe you're here and you're like, well, I want to be a mentor. I'm, we're in a pretty healthy marriage and I want to reach out. I want to make a difference. And we're, kind of, we're kind of interested. And if you're not signed up already for the training tomorrow night and Tuesday night at 6 to 9.30, both nights, sign the back of the card that says we want to be a mentor. And I'm going to teach you how to round the bases and help other couples deal with real life issues over a 10 week period. It's a very practical, very loving, very effective process. And when you're done, turn those cards in on the way out. And as I close, some of you might be thinking, okay, Matt, I get it, humble myself, see God, turn from my ways, get it. But man, you just seem real, you seem a little bit animated, a little bit over the top about all this, why? Well, I've got a good reason, and I want to close with this final thought, this final story. You see, a guy came to me years ago, and I want you to be thinking about your marriage right now and what it represents and how many people your marriage is going to touch. This guy came to me, and he says, got married at a young age. My girlfriend got pregnant at 14 years old. We had our first child. My wife was 15. We, got, uh, we had another child a couple years later. And then I go off to the military, came back, got saved, found Jesus. Our marriage got worse. And all of a sudden, his wife came to him and said this, I don't love you anymore. I'm out. I'm gone. Matter of fact, I've been seeing another man for six months. And there he stood at a crossroad. He had one of two paths to choose. One is a path of forgiveness and, and to reach out to his wife and love her in the dark hour where she didn't deserve it and follow the pattern that we preached on today because it's powerful. Or he could have picked the second path, which is contempt and bitterness and anger and, and hold her in, her in contempt of what she's done, which leads to all kinds of things. But I don't know how and I don't know why, but here's what he did. He said to his wife on the way out the door, he said, you go ahead and you take however long you need with your lover. And I'm going to wait for you. Because when I said I do at that altar, babe, I meant it. She left. The days went on and he was all alone in the dark hour trusting in this. And the months went on, and all of a sudden, a year later, he gets a knock at the door, and he opens it up, and there she stood. Repentant, alone. Will you take me back? He said, yes, I've been waiting. And he brought her into his chest, and he loved her all the days of her life. And they're now married 60 years today. They had four more sons after that, and one of their sons is me. My dad had no clue that his decision to walk away from his flesh and to love my mother when she was with this other man would yield my life. 
He didn't know that his decision would affect generations beyond him, unborn children and grandchildren and grandchildren. He didn't know that one of his sons would leave a career and train thousands of marriage mentors across the land to fight for marriages and family. All of this because of one decision he made, to trust in this. Your marriage isn't just about you. It doesn't just affect you. And if you're here and you're remarried, that's okay. That's okay that you're remarried. Stay true to the marriage you're in. Give it all you have. Fight for it. What I want you to do, every one of you, is write down on a piece of paper that note-taking guide. What tool are you most guilty to using this morning? Which one of these tools jumped out at you? Because I'm going to give you a chance right now to humble yourself and seek the Lord and turn from your ways so that power of healing can be real to your heart. And some of you need to do business with God right now. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is to tear it off and come forward and leave it right here at the altar. Every one of you, married or not. What do you need to turn from this morning? You might be saying, well, Matt, that's going to be a bit embarrassing. I know. Humble yourself. Seek him. And turn and leave it right here at the altar. Because I'll promise you healing's on the other side. So come. At the end of every training, every preaching, I'll call my dad and I'll say, hey, dad, in Decatur, Illinois, there's 24, 20 more couples coming to get trained. And there's, there's an army being built up, dad. I'll call them on the way home and I'll say, dad, uh, these couples are going to fight for marriage and family. And all of this, dad, is because of you. So come. Right now, just come. As the music plays, just come. Leave it right here. Some of you might need to kneel down and pray with your spouse. And cry out to the Lord right here and say, hey, it's me. God, forgive me. Babe, babe, forgive me. It's me. And healing will find you right here. It's, miracles are on the other side of this. And I want you to practice this. It's not a one-time deal. Come. Right now, just come. Leave it right here. We're in no hurry. Come. Come. I'll pray with you if you need it. Come. God says, you come close to me, I'll come close to you. Come. Pour your heart out to him. Come. Walk away from that little piece of paper. Come. Say, hey God, I'm turning from this right now. Come. Hey God, I got children that are dependent on me. Come. Hey God, I got children watching me. Come. We're in no hurry. You have no idea what lies ahead for you. Come. Hey, Dad, you're my hero. Thanks, Dad. Come. God knows very well what you wrote down on that piece of paper. God knows very well the kind of healing you need in your life. You need prayer? Come. 
You go home today, you sit down and you talk to your spouse about what it was you left right here at the altar and you ask for forgiveness and you forgive because it's powerful. And you might want to say, well, how often do I do this, Matt? For the rest of your life. Come. She's worth it. He's worth it.